Amen. All right, so um, let's see. I think there's a picture right there. So some of you people, let's talk about this real quick before we get into this. Um, some of y'all know this couple. This is Matt and uh, Lindsay Pittenger. Yeah, Shannon McGill on the gas by there, just if you're curious. Um, can you give me a good picture of them? And that's what I got. Uh, so Matt was here at the uh, gospel, how to have gospel conversations training. He's a member, uh, deacon at the Huntsville Christian Church. Matt has been involved with my life since he was in high school, right? And so uh, he would come to our weeks of camp. Uh, I've mentored and discipled Matt on several occasions, brought him along through our, our camp program. Matt now, as I stepped out, Matt's the guy that has kind of filled in, you know, for, for, for me. And so, uh, of course, they're expecting any day now that a little, uh, a little Pittenger is going to be running around this world. Um, but speaking of running, do y'all know what this guy's doing right now? He's running. He started running yesterday morning. That would be Saturday at 6 a.m. He's running a hundred mile race. Okay? And, and, and the, uh, I'm like, you're running a what? He said, yep, 100, 100 miles. And, and the only thing that I can, I was like, you're running, you're running against insanity, is what you're running against, just so you know that. Um, and so he is set to finish up somewhere between uh, 10 30 and noon. That, that, that was his goal. And so he's doing that right now. Okay? He, he, he's almost. There. And so in our some conversations this past week, I asked him, saying, so what's the hardest part of, of, of the race? You know, I mean, I've got 100 miles. Uh, I've, in my life, I've done a couple of uh, 10Ks, you know, which is 6.2. Uh, I know that we've got some cross-country people. We've got some people that have run much further than that. Um, he's, Matt started out on the 10K circuit, and then he worked his way up to, you know, half marathons, and then marathons, and then... He did a 50 miler last year, and then this year uh, he's doing 100. And I said, what's the hardest part? He says, hey, look, he goes, here's the thing. The hardest part about this is that you really have to focus on the first 60 miles. <laughs> and I'm like, you're, you're right. Like, every time I drive to Birmingham, I know that, man, I got I to gotta pay attention to the first 60 miles where I end up in Nashville. You're right. And so he's like, no, no, you really do. He goes, you have to intentionally pace yourself more than you normally would because running long distance, a big part of running long distance is pacing yourself. He goes, but on these super long runs like this right here, man, you're really fresh the first 30 miles and you're, you're really amped up and ready to go. And he goes, in that next 30 miles, he goes, you, you, still, you still got a lot of energy. He goes, but if you burn it up right there, he goes, you're, you're not going to finish the last 40 miles. And then he goes, in, in some of the training and some of the things, he goes, if you, if you take off too fast and you don't pay attention to the pace, he goes, you will just completely burn completely out to the point that you can't even walk. Like, like you get so exhausted in that time period that you cannot... You cannot even walk. And so when he trains, he said, a big part, half the training isn't about the endurance, which you would think, he's like, I've never run 100 miles in my training. Nowhere close. <clears throat> he goes, but I've 
in my training of when I don't remember what the max number he, he got up to 70 something he goes I'm learning to pace myself and I'm learning I'm paying attention to the times and I'm, and, I'm and, and the distances because so much of the training has to do with discipline of, of self-control of of not going too fast too early oh wow so you guys thought you had it rough this morning because you're listening to me. You could be at mile 95 right now, and you still got more to go. And so that's that's Matt. This week, I listened to someone share their testimonies at another church, and they were sharing their testimony on some trials that they've been going through. Uh, the past six months. And they were on stage at this church. It's actually the Met Church out of Houston uh, that we have a relationship with. And, and, and this was a verse that they used, and it struck me like cold stop. And Jesus is giving this, sharing this revelation with John. And I just want you to listen to what Jesus says. Okay, it's not coming up here. I know your works. He's talking about church. He's actually talking to the church at Sardis. Okay, so he, he's talking to a group of people that gather together to, to worship and to celebrate him and to live life together. And this is what Jesus says to this church. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And that's a warning to a church that is going through the day-to-day -day routine of meeting together, of doing all the things, and he says, your works, he goes, you have the reputation of being alive. From the outside, man, y'all look alive. Like, you look like you got it going on, y'all got stuff here and there, there's stuff for you to sign up to do and all that kind of stuff. You have the reputation of being alive, but I know that you are dead. That's harsh. And that's Jesus sharing some straight-up hard truth that needs to be heard, and it needs to be heard today. It needs to be heard right now on this side of his return because there are Christians that are walking through this life and, and they have the reputation of being alive uh, from an exterior point of view it looks like man we got our stuff together but on the inside they are dead this church is the reason why we talk about the personal journey of you becoming like Jesus we cannot, I cannot risk having this false reputation based on our church attendance and our church activities and the good things that we do. We can't risk it. We've got to be alive on the inside and not just having the reputation of being alive. And so that is why the charge to you and I from Peter is so important to our lives. He wrote this letter to Christians everywhere. Second Peter chapter 1, you've heard it several times already. For this very reason, make every effort 
to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we get to that wonderful piece of adding to our faith virtue and adding to our virtue knowledge and adding to knowledge self-control. So with that, show of hands, has anyone been to the Crumble Cookies place yet over here? Uh, let me just tell you about Crumble Cookies. It's where self-control goes to die. Right? I was going to use the Sykes family and our experience um, at Crumble Cookies as kind of a sermon intro today, but then I realized that that was going to be a terrible, a terrible example of self-control as I was sitting in the car eating the added cookie that we didn't even need. We bought four. They thought it was for Griffin, who wasn't even with us. I'm like, oh, heck no, this is to eat on the way home. That's what that fourth cookie is for. Yeah. That's a good look, man. Warm. Oh, my gosh. When you get them, oh, that's going to tell you. It's going to be part of heaven. I can just tell you right now. Um, all right, so Paul, Paul, Paul wrote a couple of letters to Timothy. And, 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 and this guy, Timothy's a young man. He's going to be taking over, uh, leading a church in Ephesus one day. And, and in this letter, he writes to Timothy, and he tells him this very popular verse that we're familiar with. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Or, or maybe yours says, did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of boldness and love and self-control. Control. God has given you, church, he's given it to you. You have the spirit of self-control within you. Now remember, the self-control that we read in the Bible, it, it has a couple of different meanings depending on where you use it from. you got the fruit of the spirit, self-control. you got what Peter is saying here. you got what Paul says to Timothy. There's a couple of different meanings. Well, what Paul says in the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit that we've already covered this year is the, having the mastery over temptation. It, it, it's having the mastery over things. And, and what happens, it's not about me having the mastery over something. It's Jesus being you know, in charge of my life. When I surrender fully to him, he has the mastery over temptations. That, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that gives us that part of the self-control. But then there's kind of what we're talking about today. The, the, the self-control that we're talking about today is the causing of someone to become wise. Or, or literally, it's wise head. That, 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 that's what it is. And here's the explanation. Think of what Peter is telling us when we add self-control to virtue and knowledge think of it like this I am able to make sound decisions under the temptation under the pressure of temptation 
I'm able to make wise choices under the pressure of temptation. We're going to talk about some of these in just a minute. But we're going to tell this story. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to talk about these two. One day, this is verse 29. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. So this is how Esau got his other name, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. All right, so remember the story we got going on here, right? Jacob, Esau, you remember all that kind of stuff. Um, Isaac is the son of Abraham. Uh, he's the one who will be second in line to all the nations. The promise to Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And who's that going to go through? That's going to go through Isaac. Right? So that promise is in play. Isaac is married. He gets married to Rebekah. All right? And for whatever reason, they're unable to have children. God kind of has this thing with, with people having children in his promise. Well, we know that God made the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, and it's got to happen through Isaac. So it's, it's going to happen. Isaac just caught up in the moment. He, he just doesn't know. So Isaac goes to God. He prays to God, and he says, God, <laughs> enable us to have children. And you know what God does? He says, boom, zap. You want children? you got two children. No, children, one. Nope, you got Two children, twins. And the Bible says that before they were even born, before they took their first breath, that they were fighting in the womb. All right? And Rebecca, to the point, to the point that Rebecca's like, hey, thanks for the gift of twins, but God, what's going on? Like she she now calls out, listen to, listen to this conversation between Rebecca and God. I'm going to read it for you. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and the older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered <coughs> that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. All right, so Rebecca got some things going on. God, what's happening? 
He goes, oh, by the way, you've got twins, okay? Uh, they're going to be the leaders, the founders of two nations, and they're going to be rivals, and they've already started, okay? all right? And, and, and so y'all get it, parents, you've got siblings at home. You see how they treat each other, you know, yelling at one another. They're doing that in the womb, all right? Like, it's, it's already happening. And when the time comes, when the time comes, Esau's coming out the birth canal first, and Jacob's doing everything he can to pass him in turn four, right? I mean, he, he's, he's holding on, he's trying to pull back, and it just, it's, it's, it, does, it doesn't happen that way. Esau comes out first, and they get Esau, and they're like, oh, look, right? Like, I've used this before, Chewbacca. Like, they're looking, look, I mean, he's just hairy, and he's, yeah, he's hairy. And that's what Esau means. You hear the name Esau, that's what it means, hairy one. But he's a man's man. Like when you read everything about Esau, he's a man's man. He's a hunter, right? He can skin a buck and run a trot line and you know, he rides motorcycles and he wears cowboy boots and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he, he's a dude. And if you're going to be hairy like that, you got to be able to do it, right? All right. Well, then you got Jacob. And Jacob's the heel grabber. Like he's holding on over here. Jacob, and I don't know anybody in here, we got a Jacob in our family. You probably ought to look up some of the meanings of some of these names before you start naming your kids and everything like mine, Michael. No, no. You know, can I get a name in? I mean, it's one like God. I didn't name me, okay? Michael's just one, one like God. And that, but that's all we're, we're all striving to become like Jesus, right? So it's, it, it, I, I, some of us are just a little bit closer. That's all. Uh, <laughs> I, right? And so, you, I mean, we got to check some of these names out. And Jacob, the, the name Jacob means supplanter or heel grabber, or actually it means deceiver. That, that's what it is. That's Jacob. He's the deceiver. Now, Jacob, we know from reading, he's not the outdoorsy type. It says that he likes to hang around the house, he likes to hang around the tents with his mama and all the other Karens, okay? Like, that's 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 Jacob. And he cooks, and we know he cooks because we just read the story, and he sews because he, you know, he tricks his dad later on. He wears skinny jeans and all that kind of stuff. He is the true mama's boy. That's that's Jacob. And so you got these two, right? And they've been at war since the womb. And one day Esau... He's out. He's been doing his thing. He's hunting, and he comes in, and he is famished. He is starving. And, and you would think from the story that he is on the verge of just killing over. And so he asked his brother, who has been cooking, cooking some stew. And, and, and we're not going to get into this, but I want you to notice that in verse 30, it's very specific, especially in the ESV. It, it says that there's red lentil stew. He's very specific about what it is. And the younger brother takes advantage of this opportunity. The, the younger brother does what younger brothers do, or what younger siblings do, when the older sibling needs something. Oh, you, you need something, do you? Huh. Yes. Why, yes, it's only going to cost you $50. You know, look here, I just asked for the login to, 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 to the PlayStation or whatever. It's going to cost you $50. You know, they, they, they take advantage of 
believe. And Esau has a moment of weakness where he does not practice self-control. I'm starving. I mean, you, you got to think. I mean, there's, there's surely there's something around. I mean, for Pete's sake, you're the big brother. Just wallop your younger brother and take at least a piece of bread. You know, I mean, I mean, do, do something, Esau. He has this moment of weakness. And he says, okay, what's my birthright to me if I starve to death? The birthright's everything. The, the, the birthright is, hey, you get two-thirds of, of, of everything, and you get control of then who, the, the, the remaining third. Who gets what? So if there's other siblings down the line, like, like the birthright is you are now the, the man in charge. That, that, that's what the birthright is. And in this moment of weakness of being hungry and tired, Jacob says, sell it to me. Give it to me and I'll give you some bread and I'll give you some red lentil stew. And I bet it wasn't even all you can eat. I bet it was just one bowl. And here's the thing as I'm going through this, church. Praise the Lord. It's not a sin to be hungry. Because that's all that Esau was, was hungry. Praise the Lord. It's not a sin to be tired or exhausted from hunting all day, because that's that's all that Esau was. And in, in this story, we're not talking about, we're not even talking about sin. In, in the moment of being tired and hungry, he gave up his birthright for some vegetarian stew. It didn't even have meat in it. It had beans. It didn't even, I mean, it didn't have, yeah, it could have been beef stew. Come on. In this moment, he literally shifted the course of history, of his history, without even knowing. And that's the danger of not being able to make wise decisions in the critical moments of life. We have no idea what the outcome is when we have these moments of weakness and we don't practice self-control. And so, church, here's a question for you today. It's a deep question for you today. What's your stew? What, what is the desire in your heart that is tempting you that tests your self-control? What's the thing in your life right now that you're not making wise decisions in? It could be apathy. It could be that. It could be money management. Hey, we're heading into Christmas. Now's the time. If you haven't started saving, all right, because you don't want to, do, you know, make poor decisions. You see how many crumble cookies you order? Is that your stew? Maybe it's working that overtime because, hey, you know what? I'd rather be at work than I would be with my family, my spouse. You take note of what Esau did. He didn't sin by being hungry and craving food, right? He simply satisfied the natural desires of his flesh. 
Right? I mean, think about that. That's, that's all he did. He simply satisfied the natural desires of his flesh. Do you know what you are as humans? You're a big, I'm getting scientific here. You are a big old blob of desire. All of us. Within the intricacies of the human body and the miracle that we are in the image of God, we are a mass of desires. We all have desires. God created us to have desires. And there's nothing wrong with this. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you having desires. I've got a couple of desires. We know this. I share them. <clears throat> I desire food. I'm a food. like to eat. I desire coffee. Love coffee. Alright? I desire a married man. I desire sex. Alright? I desire guns. I desire everybody in the church just looked over my kids when I said that. <laughs> everybody. Y'all all went. <laughs> I desire the walk tools. I desire I desire guns. I, I've got all of these desires as, as a man. In Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And check this out. He will give you the desires of your heart. What makes this wrong is when the desires of the heart or the flesh, when they are abused. And we seek to fulfill these desires in a way that does not honor the Lord. Fulfilling the desires of our heart can, note, note this, it can become sin. In our story, Esau didn't sin. He's just like, man, I'm hungry. I, 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 I am hungry and I'm tired and I just want these desires filled. Man, Esau, if you could just hold out. But here's the thing with desires. And we know this, whether we, whether we actually realize it or not, we know this. The enemy will twist our desires in this fallen world to the place that it now becomes sin. Let me, let me give you two examples. Two examples in, in, in our everyday world. You can check this out and make sure it's in the Bible. But Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. Not coming up here. The wisest man on earth says, Go ahead. Eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. I like, kind of like to use this verse every now and again. I throw it out there because it makes our Catholic, our former Catholic, those our, our former Catholics who amongst us, um, it makes them feel welcome, right? And in our church, believe it or not, we got some people that used to, used to be Baptist. It makes them feel uneasy. All right, and so there it is. It's God's word. Y'all can do it. Eat your food, he says, with joy. Drink your wine. With a happy heart, because God approves of this. Natural desires to eat and to drink. But what's the enemy done? He has taken food that God 
that's given to us. And in this fallen world, he has twisted it so much that we now, because of consumerism and many other things, we now fill our bodies, not with natural, clean, whole foods that are good for us. We now fill our bodies with processed, laboratory-created meals that have altered our cravings. The, the amount of food that we eat now as a society compared to 100 years ago is insane. The amount of sugar that we consume right now as a society compared to 100 years ago is insane. But man, it tastes good. It tastes so good, we'll go to Sam's Club and we'll buy two months worth of it. We'll, we'll instead of going to Publix over here and getting a box of six, we'll go to Sam's Club and we'll get a box of 66. I mean, we, we, we will get the jumbo size and, and we'll stock our shelves with it. And people have eating disorders right now that did not even exist ago 75 years ago because of the food, because of the industry that our food has become. There's eating disorders, there's people that, that are suffering with their image and how food impacts it to the point that, 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 that they will cause themselves to throw up to get rid of the, the calories instead of the risk of those calories attaching to their body, changing the way they look. The enemy has taken what God has given us and he has twisted it. And in our culture, it's okay to sit over here at the buffet and go back and consume 9,000 calories of goodness. And we don't even check up. The enemy has said, that is okay. And we're coming into a season of Thanksgiving where we're going to thank the Lord for everything that he's blessed us with. Hallelujah. He's blessed us with the opportunity to be gluttons for five days in a at least in my household. The enemy takes what God has given and twists it. I know this is going to be a shock to everyone in the South, but sweet tea is not mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> I, know, I know we think it is. I, I know that we think that because Truett Cathy and Chick-fil-A make the best sweet tea in the world, that 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 man and they're Christians and they're closed on Sundays. That it's in them. It's not. You know what drinks are mentioned in the Bible? Water, wine, and beer. I'm a little shocked that my family knows all this. <laughs> Those are the drinks. Those are the specific beverages mentioned in Scripture. Not sweet tea. God said, "Drink your wine with a happy heart." But what's the enemy done? He's twisted it. In this fallen world, the enemy <coughs> has twisted it. Here's something created by man that can be enjoyable. But many people struggle with the addictive characteristics of wine or the beer, which is also in the Bible, by the way, and it has the potential to wreck lives. We've all known We've all dealt with this in, in some way, shape, or form. People whose lives have drastically changed and have been wrecked because of the addictive characteristics of this. And some people have no business taking a sip. Some, some people need to run. They need to treat this like sexual immorality and flee from the opportunity. 
There are rules that our government and our <coughs> our nation says we must abide by, and we must abide by those rules. The enemy takes the things that God has given us, the desires of the heart, the desires of the flesh, and he twists them. Hey, Satan, how about this? Some of you may not like this, but Satan also created legalism over this very topic of drinking wine. So, <laughs> some people, man, my grandma, all right, as refined and proper as she was, she'd crack a long neck in a second. She would take one out. Hey, look, when the first bar, the first wet bar I ever saw was in their house when they when they built their house because they built this house to entertain and to have people over. And man, they had a bar and it was stocked. It was stocked. And man, I'm telling you right now, my grandma didn't need my grandmother. Oh, I can't believe that she's just slapping right now. I call her grandma. My grandmother didn't need no bottle opener. Man, she'd take that thing right here and pop that thing off and just start drinking. All right? And if she were right here with us today, I mean, she wouldn't be right here because I'm not wearing the three-piece suit and everything. But let me tell you, she would have no business going out with any of y'all and ordering a drink. It didn't bother her at all. Her sister, Frances, she didn't mind drinking either. Well, Frances lives in Enterprise, Alabama. She has a reputation at the First Baptist Church. She wouldn't dare drink from the bottle. My Aunt Frances was using red solo cups before they were cool. I promise you. Okay, I'm, I'm not even kidding. She, look here, when we had family gatherings, and when we had family gatherings in, in South Alabama, oh, look, look here, man, we, we covered that stuff up to the best of our ability. We didn't drink from the bottle. We go down to Florida, man, it's like, there it is. Y'all have at it, just be safe, right? My Aunt Frances drives 60 miles away from Enterprise by her beer, just so she wouldn't be seen buying it. Because out of this, legalism has come. You don't think Satanism has twisted God's design and purpose for marriage and the fruits of marriage? I mean, he's straight up clear. The sex is to be one man and one woman and it who are married, right? And they're, and they're to appropriate and they're to recreate and they're to have fun with it and this is for me. And our society has twisted this and twisted this. And for the sake of my kids, I'm not going to dwell anymore. It's okay for you and I to have desires. God created us that way. But what Peter is telling us, in order to bear fruit, we must make every effort to add to our faith self-control. So the desires are fine. It's what we do in the moment that we have to be careful of. So what's your suit? Man, what are the desires of your heart? What are the desires of your heart that you are not making wise decisions in? Because here's the issue in God's plan for your life. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. You never know what you're going to miss out on when you do not show self-control. 
when you go too far. Esau didn't practice some self-control. And it cost him. <clears throat> it cost him. Matthew chapter 1. Here's a rock-solid theology for you. Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of. This is what Esau traded stood for. Isaac, the father of Jacob. This is what Esau traded stood for. And this is so much more than being mentioned in a book written by a Jewish tax collector some 3,000 years later. It, it, it's so much more than that. The decision cost Esau being part of God's redemptive story for all of humanity. And I understand the message that God told Rebecca, hey, the older's going to serve the younger. I understand that that was already <clears throat> in design. It was going to happen anyway. It was going to work out the way God wanted it to. But Esau's decision in the moment took care of it for God. God did not have to act supernatural to make this happen. Esau, in the moment, Said, I'm going to take care of this for you, God, without even realizing that I'm not going to practice self-control. Who needs this birthright? In church, when we compromise in those moments, in the little moments, the, the, the treating people with kindness moments, the saying no to the, the to the purchase. The not clicking that link that takes us to that site, to those images. When we say yes to the flesh and no to self-control, we have no idea the ramifications that are at stake. We have no idea how God will use that moment of self-control to bear fruit in your life, because that's the promise. When you add to your faith virtue, in virtue, knowledge. In knowledge, self-control. And you run the list, and these things are increasing measure. You are going to be fruitful. You are going to be productive. But man, we, we miss out. When we get in on those moments of weakness, We have no idea the ramifications. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. It's already in you. And here's the cool thing about this text from 2 Timothy 1.7. All of those Jesus demonstrated when he went to the cross. All of those. Power, love, and self-control. He demonstrated these for us when he went to the cross to be the sacrifice for our sins. So if you have your communion packs, let's go ahead and take those out. <clears throat>
Jesus demonstrated boldness or he demonstrated power. He was facing his accusers. He demonstrated love as he hung there on the cross asking God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And church, I'm going to tell you right now, that wasn't just to those right there in the circle that could hear his voice. That prayer from Jesus to God for forgiveness was for you and I for this day. He demonstrated self-control by not calling down a legion of angels to protect him. He, we know that we know that the devil tried to tempt him, right? We talked about this last time we talked about self-control. The devil tried to tempt him. And the devil was the one that pointed out, you, 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 you could do this right now. You, you, you could call down all these things, and they would they would protect you from, from hitting the earth. And in the moment of sweating blood, asking his father, is there anything else that can be done? He knows what can be done. <clears throat> he knows that he can say, rescue me right now, Father. I don't want to do this. He shows self-control. And so I want us to meditate for just a minute. I want to meditate, I want you to meditate on what God's saying to you right now. Do we process self-control? Do we process being able to make wise decisions? As you think about the things that are desires of your heart that you struggle to make. Bread lentil stew. Think about the example that Jesus said. As we meditate on that, remember the body that was broken. <clears throat> it was broken for you. Remember the blood that was shed to wash away your sins. Take and eat. Here's what we want you to do now. Just sit there and you kind of continue to process this out in your life. And I hope it goes beyond the doors here. But here's the other ways we want you to respond. First, Caleb and our celebration team, they're going to lead us in the song. And just sing to the Lord out of the overflow of your heart this morning. That's one way we want you to respond. And then the second way, we don't do this enough, so you're going to see more of this. We want to encourage you to bring to the Lord what is already His. You're going to read in your soap this week, Psalm 50. And it's going to tell you that all things belong to him anyway. Everything that you've got belongs to him. So he challenges us to give back a portion and to trust him. So we want to, 
respond by singing to the Lord out of the overflow of our heart and bringing to the Lord what is already in us. We stand for singing.